Hey, everybody. Hello. Welcome to the Creepy Ouija Show. My name is Leash. And I am Taylor. And this is our third episode of our second season. Hell yeah, it is. We're here to bring you some spooky, creepy stories today <laughs> and every day that you listen, because you can listen any day, every yes, day. Yes, we are available on all streaming platforms. And all social media platforms. <laughs> Feel free to like us on social media. Subscribe! <laughs> Not yet, but maybe soon. You can subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcast. And you can also leave us a five-star review. If you so please. And we also please. We, we <laughs> please. Please do it. <laughs> anyway, I feel like we're doing the credits before the movie. Yeah. You know, you know how, like, Sleeping Beauty was like that? Sleeping Beauty, what? Yeah, there was, like, the credits before the movie. In the old times. I have no idea what you're talking the about. The old times. All right. Anyway. Anyway. Um, how are you today, Tay? I'm good. I'm very tired, and I'm a little nauseous. Oh my god, same. Twins. Twinning. It's just the energy in this household. <laughs> you know. <laughs> tired and nauseous. <laughs> Class. All right, anyway. Are you ready for a story? I am ready for a story. I don't know why I said it like that. All right, so today I'm giving you a conspiracy. Whoop, whoop. Yay! Okay, so I'm covering the Denver International Airport Conspiracy. Have you ever heard of it? Isn't this something with Illuminati? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the Denver International Airport was originally the Stapleton Airport, which was built in 1929, serving as the primary airport for Denver, Colorado, until 1995, when it was commissioned to be redone. Commissioned. Commissioned. Fancy words. Yes. Though this mysterious and eerie remodeling has raised more eyebrows, conspiracy theories about what goes on in and under this airport have been a topic of discussion long before it was even set to be remodeled. Initially, uh, the DIA, which whenever I read that I think about um, Detroit because we're from Michigan, but today DIA means Denver International Airport. So, initially, the DIA was scheduled to be finished in October 1993, but due to design changes, contract disputes, and other unforeseen complications, the new airport didn't end up opening until February 1995, so about a year and a half later. When it came out that the airport not only took an extra almost two years for construction, but an extra $3 billion... Combined with the fact that because there were so many design changes and contract disputes that, like, always had different workers filtering in and out under new contractors, uh, Coloradoans, Coloradoans began to wonder if there was something going on at the airport that they didn't want the public to know about. So it's like two extra years of construction, three billion extra dollars, and then mysteriously changing contractors all the time. So... It's like that one house in California that like always oh, had yeah. construction. The, oh, what was it called? Madame Lalaurie. Is that that mm. house? Lurie? I don't know. No. I get all those things. I don't know. I follow them on Instagram and I can't think of their name. But yeah, it's like the constant changing of construction. Like nobody knows what's going on. So that's like really creepy. So people are like, did they do that on purpose? Okay. 
Three billion dollars is more money than I will ever see in my entire life. Probably three million lifetimes. Yeah. Anyway, when talking about the construction of an airport, Mm -hmm. I guess, is that considered a lot of money? So this is one of the largest airports, I think, in the country, at least in the country. Um, And while airports are very expensive, you know, with like planes and air Mm -hmm. runways and all that jazz, like some airports are insanely large. They have food and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. This airport is insane. It's crazy. We're going to get into it, but it's huge. So yeah, it's an extra $3 billion, which I don't even know how much it costs entirely, but just an extra $3 billion is Oh yeah, insane. three billion. No problem. Here you go. That's chump change. Yeah, for some people it is. Eat so, the rich. People began whispering about supposed secret tunnels under the airport, speculating that they were linked to Nazis, the Freemasons, or the Illuminati. And things only heated up after the airport debuted its shiny new remodel, adorned with creepy artwork that to this day has people wondering if they're just playing into the conspiracies or if something else is truly going on. Ooh. So, the Denver airport officials are, like, pretty upfront about their willingness to play off the crazy conspiracies that the public has come up with over the years. Um, Heath Montgomery, the senior public information officer for the DIA, was quoted as saying they'd, they'd rather have fun with it than try and fight all of it and try to convince everyone it's not true. So, the airport claims that it's mostly making fun of the conspiracies, but I'll let you decide if you think there's something that they're hiding. Because it gets pretty suspicious. (laughs) To me, I think they're just hiding in plain sight. But that's just me. So, One of the biggest theories about the DIA is that it was commissioned to be rebuilt by the secret society called the New World Order, who is rumored to have strong ties to Nazism. I think I'm saying that right. Nazism. Nazism. I think it'd be Nazism. Nazism. Yeah. Um, And it was supposedly commissioned to be some kind of apocalyptic bunker if there was ever to be an extinction event like a nuclear war. If you look at the airport from an aerial view, some claim that the runways look like a giant swastika. Ooh. So upon first glance, you probably wouldn't think so, and honestly, it doesn't really resemble that shape but if you're looking for it you can find it you know I saw some photos that like had red lines that like outlined but it wasn't all of the runways you know right so in reality the fan-shaped design actually allows airplanes to have an optimal takeoff in any direction which is helpful when like weather conditions are poor or in times of high traffic so they can just kind of maneuver around whoever's coming in or going out The airport's dedication plaque is located at the airport's south entrance, and it's dated March 19th, 1994, and it credits the New World Airport Commission for building it. But coincidentally, that organization does not even exist, and the actual DIA website even says so. The New World Airport Commission, which oddly sounds like New World Order. Coincidence? Yes. I think not. I think not. (laughs) Not only that, but the plaque is decorated with the symbol for the Freemasons and contains a time capsule underneath of it said to be opened in 2094. What? Yeah. Around the airport, you can find strange symbols and markings that some say is indicative of secret or alien languages, 
But the DIA claims that they're actually just references to the Navajo, 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 Navajo. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. The Navajo. <laughs> I feel so white right now. <clears throat> the Navajo language or the periodic table of elements. I. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I feel like it would be pretty obvious if it was like the table of elements. Yeah. You know, doesn't seem, doesn't seem quite right. So, while the Freemasons do have ties to the airport's remodel, there's no public information that they did anything other than provide funding. So, like I said, some organizations do just have $3 billion extra dollars laying around. Especially if you're a secret society that controls a lot of things behind the scenes. Or Jeff Bezos. Fuck you. Yeah, well, he's a lizard person. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so as for the time can't capsule apparently it contains unimportant things like mayor wellington webb's tennis shoes some coins a signed opening day baseball from the Coors field and other stuff but if you ask me like a time capsule under a plaque from the new world airport commission or whatever with the freemason symbol on it has to have more than some shoes and coins in it yeah, I'm... I would have to agree. <laughs> yeah, seems a little too normal if you ask me. Also, apparently the New World Airport Commission was named by a man named, named Charles Ansbacher, who was an arts advocate that chose the name in reference to Dvorak, Dvorak's New World Symphony. I looked up how to say that and then I immediately forgot. <laughs> but, I don't know, that just kind of seems like a stretch. But who am I to say? So the next big theory surrounds the artwork in and outside of the airport, which many claim provides clues to the end of the world. What? Yeah. The DIA houses a 40-piece public art collection that includes two giant 28-foot-wide, super-colorful Nazi-esque murals painted by Leo Tenguma, uh, there's also a giant Mustang sculpture called Blucifer and mysterious gargoyle sculptures. And mind you, all of this, which is a lot of art, only took up 1% of the remodel budget. So it basically is like the DIA in Detroit with all the art. I've actually never been to that airport. It's not an airport. It's an art museum. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess so. I also haven't been to the art museum. It's actually really cool. You should go. I would love to. I love museums. I've gone a couple times. So, yes. DIA, DIA. Not the other DIA. <laughs> so, it said that all of these art pieces um, point to a seriously sinister influence most likely the Illuminati, the Freemasons, or the New World Order of Nazis. Woof. The New World Order, like, because it, in this, like, conspiracy is so tied to Nazis, I'm just gonna, like, combine them in name. The New World Order of Nazis. That's what they are now. So, when you look at Tanguma's murals, murals, I know I said that really <laughs> weird, <laughs> which are located on level five of the Jepson terminal right away. They are frightening. 
There are clearly themes of death, genocide, and an apocalyptic single-government world, again, possibly nodding towards Nazism. One of the murals depicts a giant building on fire. Another part shows an apocalyptic-looking soldier in a gas mask holding a large gun next to crying and maybe dying people. They looked very ill. Um, while other parts show like rainbows and people of all ethnicities coming together to rejoice. So it's really all over the place, but like mostly it's just like very unsettling. Uh, yeah. It's very creepy looking, but it's so bright and colorful at the same time. It's just like, I'm uncomfortable, but also I'm happy, but I'm uncomfortable. Wow. And I like it. <laughs> but yeah, you can't ignore the large unsettling imagery uh, but to Tanguma, he claims that the murals have a positive, uplifting meaning behind them, telling a hopeful story of peace and environmental care following times of war and pollution. Sounds a lot like Hitler's values. Yeah, and it kind of looks like what oh, Hitler I was, was say, going that's for. What I was picturing. Mm-hmm. So, other people want to know why there are gargoyles near the east and west side baggage claim areas, because it's like you're already in like eerie hauntingly uncomfortable ambiance of this airport but it said that they were actually placed there to protect tra- travelers luggage because gargoyle gargoyles have commonly been used throughout centuries in architecture as totems to protect buildings and keep evil spirits away so that one was debunked really quickly they were like no it's it's cute and good even though it's a little little creepy but it's our aesthetic <laughs> chill so then there's Blucifer, which is a creepy-ass name. So Blucifer is a 32-foot-tall fiberglass sculpture of a blue Mustang located on Peña Boulevard. Hmm. No doubt, you know, driving up to your airport and seeing a giant blue horse menacingly hiked up on its hind legs with bright-ass glowing red eyes would be terrifying and have any normal person wondering why the hell anyone would want something so ominous guarding their establishment it makes no sense it's speculated that this demonized sculpture is a nod to the four horsemen of the apocalypse and even more lucifer has a somewhat sinister past what two years before lucifer could be completed a piece of the statue fell on jimenez's leg um oh i didn't tell you who made this his name was his last name is jimenez um but yeah a piece of the statue fell on his leg while he was working and severed an artery killing him what yes so some say that the piercing red eyes are tied to the evil murderous horse's past but in reality jimenez had already picked the color for the eyes stating that the color red was in honor of the wild spirit of the american west as well as a nod to his father who worked with neon signs, which is pretty cute. (laughs) The whole sculpture was actually inspired by the statue Mustaño, which is also a blue Mustang with glowing red eyes, which is located at the University of Oklahoma. So our next conspiracy takes place below the airport. So we know that there are at least six underground levels below below the ground floor of the dia and theory claims that there could possibly be more than that that are not even known about some of which contain secret underground doomsday bunkers possibly built by lizard people 
or aliens that will serve as a safe place for the world's elite to live in during the apocalypse. And the DIA website even says so itself. In addition to that, there are theories that secret tunnels under the airport are used as a secret passageway between various military bases. There's a lot going on underground. So first, let's get into the bunkers. So rumor has it that during construction, the builders messed up the first few buildings, but instead of getting rid of them, they buried them and then proceeded to just build on top of them, which in turn created a secret underground lair that's just sitting there untouched and unused. That doesn't make much sense to me. Like, you're going to build a building, mess up, bury it, then build another building on top? That Like, how does that even work? Right. How deep were you building underneath beforehand? And also, that seems very unstable. You would think if it's a messed up building, you know. Yeah. But, like, according to them, they don't use any of it, and it's just sitting under there. Like, that's so eerie. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, I'm going to say no. So, the DIA website notes that it's rumored that aliens and lizard people had a hand in building these underground buildings, and some even have alien markings and writings on the wall still to this day. Wow. Yeah. Information on the buildings under the airport is really vague, so who knows what's really going on down there, you know? Right. Then there's the tunnels. We do know that there are actually, like, there actually are tunnels down there that used to include a train that ran between concourses to help deliver baggage in a timely fashion, but it ended up failing, and they just were like, fuck this, we're not going to use it anymore. Which kind of leads people to wonder if it was just, like, a ploy to cover up why there were tunnels down there to begin with. Contractors who originally worked on the airport reportedly saw evidence of the bunker entrances and the inexplicable tunnels before even working on the baggage train system. So, like, all of that was already there before they were contracted to do the remodel, Hmm. which is why people think that, like, aliens and lizard people were... They're building it. Right. So, apparently, on some conspiracy websites, you can even find blurry footage of lizard-like people walking around in the tunnels. Obviously, that's not very credible, but still interesting. Did you watch one? No, I didn't. Oh. But, okay, so it's speculated that the tunnels also run to the North American Aerospace Defense Command... Um, which is 100 miles south of the airport in the Cheyenne Mountain Complex in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado Springs. So it's like a box and a box and a box and a box. But according to the Denver Post, constructing a tunnel that size could take decades and seeing as how the DIA has only been open for 26 years, they say it's unlikely. But like the tunnels have already been there for who knows how long so isn't really that unlikely i think not i think not the area underneath the denver airport is definitely large enough to house a large number of people as well as years worth of supplies and even planes if need be certainly an ideal place to hunker down in the end times but outside of the airport, all of the fences around the entire airport have barbed wire 
eerily facing inwards, leading some conspirators to believe that the airport could one day be used as a prison or a concentration camp, and inward-facing barbed wire would certainly keep people in, not out. Yeah. So, who knows? Maybe the DIA really is the Illuminati, Freemason, New World, Nazi Order, Lizard People, Alien Area 52 Apocalyptic Bunker Headquarters. Which is the new name. (laughs) Maybe it's going to be something much worse. Maybe we'll have to wait until 2094 to find out. Wow. I'm sorry, mine was not very long, but I know that yours is going to be long. Mine is so long. All right. That was actually really interesting, though. Thank you. So, speaking of airports, I've had this, like, unhealthy obsession with watching and, like, seeing and hearing about plane crashes. Ew. Don't. I'm just saying. I literally hate that. I'm just saying, man. I feel like a couple of weeks ago, we had a couple of friends over, <laughs> and we were all sitting in the living room eating delicious Mexican food, watching planes crash into water. That is literally my biggest fear. I was I was quaking. Not in the good way. I have an irrational fear of man-made objects in the water. Yeah. Like like at the bottom of the ocean and I was on TikTok the other day because that's literally all I do with my time. <laughs> and there was like a guy was talking about this fear and I'm like, "Wow, I'm not the only one." And then he started showing pictures of shit on the bottom of the ocean and there was a plane and I'm not kidding I literally had to turn the video off literally why would he do that if that's his biggest fear I oh, don't know also I forgot one thing about the DIA um since they like really play up this like conspiracy stuff they have a bunch of like construction still going on that's supposed to be done this year but they have hilarious um little like wall not like ads but like barriers i guess that like block off the areas of construction and they're all so like funny like there's one with a lizard person on it that says what are we doing and then it has a b and c a says adding amazing new restaurants and bars b says building an illuminati headquarters and c says remodeling the lizard people's lair it's like so funny look at this oh that is funny at least they have a sense of humor about it. Yeah. They, like, actually, like, really love it. They think it's hilarious. So I love it. Yeah. Just wanted to throw that out there, too. So you guys can, like, look on the um, flydenver.com, which is their um, website. They have a bunch of stuff all about this, like, conspiracy stuff. So it's pretty cool. I love it. All right. Your turn. Okay. I'm covering a serial killer this week. I'm really excited about it, and I'm in way over my head here because this was a lot. Hell yeah, sister. And when I say that it's long, it's a very, very long tale. Well, I'm glad that mine was short this week then. How the turntables have. Oh, how the tables turned. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we are going to talk about the killer clown, a.k.a. John Wayne Gacy. Oh shit, bitch! Let's go. Full send. Let's go. So, John Wayne Gacy was born in Chicago, March 17th, 1942. He was the youngest of two and the only boy. Um, his mom was a homemaker and his dad worked in an auto repair shop. 
And he was also a, I'm sorry, his dad was also a World War One veteran. So like a pretty average family for the time, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like a, like a small family. Yeah. Pretty normal. Dad's yeah. a veteran. Mom's a homemaker. Mom's mom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he had a good relationship with his mom and his sister. His father, however, was an alcoholic and physically and mentally abusive towards his wife and kids. Um, his dad would belittle him. He would call him stupid. He would call him dumb. And he would compare him negatively to his sister. Um, one of his earliest memories was uh, being beaten with a leather belt for disarranging car engine parts his father had assembled. Um, his mom That did... is kind of a dick move, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is, but... <laughs> I mean, you shouldn't beat your kids with a belt. I mean... Or at all, but... The weird thing, though, is, like... I, I never got hit with a belt. I did. Yeah. Shit sucked. But, like, it wasn't, like, an uncommon thing to yeah. get hit with a belt. Um, no, I never got hit with a belt. But my mother did smack my ass a lot. Spanked. They spanked me. I shouldn't say smack my ass. <laughs> oh, my that's, God. That's really bad. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> um... His mom did her best to protect him from his father, but it kind of only made it worse because of that. He kind of became a mama's boy, and his dad would use that against him and use it negatively. He would call him a sissy, and he would insinuate that he would grow up queer, which in the 40s was a no-no. Yeah. Uh, he still did love his father, though, even through the abuse, but he felt like he would never be good enough for him. And then in 1949, Gacy was caught molesting a, molesting a young girl, and his father was informed of it and whipped him with a razor strop. <gasps> Do you know what that is? No, but I don't like it. I don't either. Um, so you know, like the, not like the razors that we use now, but like the ones that like flip out? Oh, yeah. It sharpens... Oh, sharpens those. It's like a strip of leather, basically. Okay. Kind of. I don't know. Anyway. Gotcha. Uh, the same year, he was molested by a family friend in in a truck multiple times. Uh, he never told his father, though, in fear that his father would blame him. Mm, that's he, really sad. I know. He was a very overweight child. He had a lot of medical issues, including a heart condition, um, his appendix burst at one point. He would have blackouts and was occasionally hospitalized because of seizures. But his father thought his episodes were employed to gain attention, told him that he was faking it. What a piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, he actually told him that he was faking it while he was in the hospital after having a seizure. Who fucking does that? Yeah. Um, the rest of his family never suspected that he was faking it. They all took it seriously. Mm -hmm. um, however, his condition was never diagnosed. In 1960, at the age of 18, Gacy became involved in politics, working as an assistant precinct captain for a Democratic Party candidate in his neighborhood. Um, it led to more criticism from his father, who accused his son of being a patsy. Um, and... Gacy later speculated it was to seek the acceptance from others that he never received from his father. Oh my god. Yeah. This man cannot be pleased, no matter what he does. Yeah. It's sad. That is sad. Uh, the same year uh, Gacy's political involvement began, his father bought him a car. Hmm. He kept the vehicle's title in his name, though, until Gacy had finished paying it off. Mm -hmm. Um... The, it took uh, several years 
for him to pay it off. Um, his dad would confiscate the keys to the vehicle if he did not do as he said. And then in 1962, Gacy purchased an extra set of keys after his father confiscated the original set. Um, his father then removed the distributor cap. Don't know what that means. Anyway. I don't either. <laughs> and then he kept it for three days. I'm assuming you can't drive without it. Um, probably not. Gacy said that he felt really sick and drained after this. Can you not? <laughs> he just wants to be part of the show. I love you, but back off. <laughs> um, when his father replaced the distributor cap, Gacy drove to Las Vegas. And, again, he's from Chicago, so he drove from Chicago to Vegas. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he found work within the ambulance service before he was transferred to work as an attendant at Palm Mortuary. I can't say that word. Mortuary. I can't say weird. most words. It just sounds weird. <laughs> as a mortuary mortuary <laughs> attendant, Gacy slept on a cot behind the embalming room. Uh, he worked there for three months observing morticians and embalming dead bodies. Oh, God. He later confessed that one evening, while alone, he had clambered into the coffin of a deceased teenage male, embracing and caressing the body before experiencing a sense of shock. What kind of shock? I don't know. I don't like it. I don't know. I'm assuming it was a feeling that he knew was wrong uh-huh. because of this next part. Okay. So, Gacy called his mom the next day. And asked whether his father would allow him to come home. So his father did agree. And mm-hmm. the same day he drove back to Chicago. So I'm assuming like the feeling just like made him uncomfortable because he like. Because he had climbed into a coffin willingly. Yeah. Okay. Okay, buddy. Um, you knew what you were doing. Yeah. So once he got home, he enrolled at Northwestern Business College. Despite failing to graduate from high school. He graduated from college in 1963 and took a management trainee position with the Nunbush Shoe Company. And then in 1964, the shoe company transferred him to Springfield, Illinois, to work as a salesman and eventually promoted him to manager of his department. In March of that year, he became engaged to Marilyn Myers, who was also a co-worker. Gacy joined the local JC's, JC's, JC's? JC Penny? No. It's not JC Penny. It's JC's. I don't I don't know. I don't know what it is, but maybe he, it's a choir. Like an all male choir. I don't think so. That's just my best guess. Maybe. Maybe it's clown school. Maybe it's the not local yet. clowns. Not yet. Alright. We're not there yet. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but anyway, he worked tirelessly for them. Um he was named Key Man in April 1964. Key Man. So maybe he got a key. Maybe. <laughs> maybe he was the key to. He was the key to the business's success. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Um, that same year, he had his second homosexual experience. Was the first one in the coffin? No, the first one was when he was molested as a child. Oh. <laughs> I forgot about that already. <laughs> Uh, according to Gacy, after one of his colleagues in the Springfield JCs plied him with drinks and invited him to spend the evening on his sofa, uh, the colleague then performed sexual acts on him while he was drunk. But was it consensual? 
Mm. Was it not? It didn't say. It said he was drunk. Okay. Not that, 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 that's not consent. That is not consent. Yeah, that comply. That implies that it's not consensual. And right. We'll just go with that. Okay. So then by 1965, uh, Gacy had risen to the position of vice president of the Springfield Jaycees. Okay. The same year, he was named the third most outstanding JC in the state of Illinois. I love that we still don't know what a JC is. I have no idea. I meant to look it up, and I didn't. <laughs> so, after six months of being engaged, Gacy and Myers married in September of 1964, and Marilyn's father purchased three Kentucky Fried Chickens. Hell yeah! In Waterloo, Iowa, and so the couple moved there so he could manage the restaurants. With the understanding that they would move into Marilyn's parents' home, which the parents had vacated so that the so that they could live in, in the house. That's very kind. Yeah, wait to hear this next fucking part. Okay. Uh, so Gacy would receive $15,000 a year, which today is equivalent to $123,900, plus a share of the restaurant's profits. If a KFC manager actually makes that much... Please let me know because I will quit my job right now. I will totally work at KFC. I am shook. Wait, didn't they own it though? Didn't they own three? Did he manage all three? It says that's kind of what I got from it. Yeah. A couple moved there so he could manage the restaurants. Plural. Okay. So, so I guess if you're doing three managers' duties and KFC managers probably make what, like $30,000 a year tops maybe maybe less still anyway math anyway (laughs) who knows who knows that's a nice chunk of change though it is right so following the obligatory completion of the management course gacy relocated to waterloo with his wife um he opened up a quote-unquote club in his basement where his employees could drink alcohol and play pool Hell yeah. Uh, Gacy did employ teenagers of both sexes mm-hmm. um, at his restaurant. He socialized with only the young men, though. Weird. Gacy gave many of them alcohol before he made sexual advances, and if they rebuffed him, he would claim his advances were simply jokes or a test of morals. Ew. Yeah, it's, yeah. I don't like that. No. So is this where he starts getting creepy? Is that, like, where he started getting creepy? I mean, besides the coffin thing. Yeah, I would say so. Okay. Um, so Gacy's wife gave birth to a son in February of 1966 and a daughter in March of 1967. And Gacy himself later described this period of his life as perfect. He had finally earned his father's approval. Uh, Gacy's parents visited in July of 1966. His father apologized for the abuse and said, quote unquote son i was wrong about you thanks a lot you fucking dickhead right and i think i said something wrong in the beginning now that i'm reading this it says that the son is older and i think in the beginning i said the son was younger oh but either way um so in waterloo gacy joined the local jc's chapter regularly offering extended hours to the organization in addition to the 12 and 14 hour days he worked managing the kfc's love that at meetings, Gacy would often provide fried chicken and insisted on being called Colonel. <laughs> what a fucking dweeb. That's what I'm saying. You will never amount to the Colonel. Call me Colonel. 
Um, although considered ambitious and something of a braggart. I don't know what that word is. I copied and pasted this. Bragger? Braggart. Maybe, braggart. maybe it means he brags. I don't know. Um, the other JCs held him in high regard for his fundraising work and in 1967 named him Outstanding Vice President of the Waterloo JCs. He's, his life is going so good right now. That's what I'm saying. You make $123,000 a year? Besides being kind of a fucking pedophile pervert. Yeah. We all have our things. Don't, be a, pedo- don't no. be a pedophile pervert though. No. Please. Don't. Uh, the same year Gacy served on the board of directors. Gacy and other Waterloo JCs were also deeply involved in <laughs> wife swapping, hmm. prostitution, pornography, and drug use. Wait, I'm sorry. Who was into this? Uh, that would be Gacy and other Waterloo JCs. Disgusting. Sick. Fire them all. You fired. Jail. Oh shit! I just lost all my stuff. Oh no. Bring it back. Bring it back. Okay, so in August of 1967, Gacy sexually assaulted 15-year-old Donald Voorhees, the son of a fellow JC. Gacy lured Voorhees to his house, having promised to show him pornographic films. (gasps) Uh, Who's just like, yes, sir, yes, colonel, I'd love to go to your house (laughs) and watch pornos with you. What? So Gacy... Applied Voorhees with alcohol and persuaded him to perform oral sex. Yikes. Over the following months, he similarly abused several other youths, including one who Gacy encouraged to have sex with his own wife. Oh, and she was just down for that? I mean, with the whole I wife guess swapping. she was into wife swapping, yeah. They bunch of freaks. Bunch of freaks! I guess, like, if that, if that works for you, like, chill, but, like, leave the children out of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, encouraged him to have sex with his own wife before blackmailing him into performing oral sex on him. Gross. Gacy tricked several teenagers into believing he was commissioned to conduct homosexual experiments in the interests of scientific research and paid them up to $50 each. (laughs) It's for science. It's for science. (laughs) Blow me. It's for science. Yeah. So in March of 1968... Or he's reported to his father that Gacy had sexually assaulted him, and his um, the kid's dad immediately informed the police, who arrested Gacy and sub- subsequently charged him with performing oral sodomy on Voorhees in the attempted assault of 16-year-old Edward Lynch. I don't know what that means. But... I'm so sorry. I was just so distracted that whole sentence because, like, there's this little old man that lives next to us. And he goes outside and walks his dog like 15 times a day and it's really cute and precious. Mm -hmm. But I just saw his shadow waddling closer and closer on the like patio wall. Yeah, and it freaked me out. And I was just like, I knew exactly who it was, but I was just like, why is it getting so close? He puts his dog in sweaters. It's so cute. They're so precious. And every time that I go outside with my dog and he's outside with his dog, he waves. And then I wave. And I guess we're just besties. The other day, his wife got out of the car, and she was just, like, staring in my car. And I have all, like, those fuck the police (laughs) signs in my backseat. Yeah. I'm like, pay no attention. Leave me alone, Brenda. Uh, So Gacy denied the charges and demanded to take a polygraph test. We all know polygraph tests aren't accurate. However, the results indicated 
Gacy was nervous when he denied any wrongdoing in relation to both young men. So. So wait, I'm so sorry. I was distracted by that shadow. So why is he being arrested? So the kid who he Uh assaulted, uh, he told his dad and they pressed charges. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah. So he failed the polygraph test. Okay. And he publicly denied any wrongdoing and insisted that the charges against him were politically motivated. Uh, the kid's dad had opposed Ga- uh, Gacy's nomination for appointment as president of the Iowa JCs. Um, several fellow JCs found Gacy's story credible and rallied to his support. However, on May 10th, 1968, Gacy was indicted on the sodomy charge. Buff. Yeah, woof. On August 30th, 1968, Gacy persuaded one of his employees, 18-year-old Russell Schroeder, to physically assault Voorhees in an effort to discourage the boy from testifying. (gasps) Gacy promised to pay the kid $300. Schroeder agreed, and in early September, lured Voorhees to an isolated county park, sprayed mace in his eyes, and then beat him. Savage. So, (laughs) this Voorhees kid managed to escape, and instead of keeping his mouth shut, he again reported the assault to the police. Good for you, Voorhees. That's good for you, but I'm scared for him now. Uh, snitches get stitches. That's so true. Um, but he was able to identify Schroeder as his attacker. And then so they arrested Schroeder the next day. Um, while initially denying any involvement, he soon confessed to assaulting Voorhees, indicating he had done so at Gacy's request. Um, the police arrested Gacy and laid an additional charge of hiring Schroeder to assault and intimidate Voorhees. So not only is he being charged for sexual assault, but now he is getting charged for assault and like a... Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So on September 12th, Gacy was ordered to undergo a psychiatric evaluation at the Psychiatric Hospital of the University of Iowa. Two doctors examined him over a period of 17 days concluding he had an antisocial personality disorder. He seems pretty fucking social to me. Yeah, I guess. Like, too social, kind of? Maybe, like... Like, keep it in your pants kind of social? Maybe, like, a socially awkward, but whatever. Um, but, uh, antisocial personality disorder incorporates constructs such as sociopathy and psychopathy. I guess that makes sense. So, yeah. But they basically said that he was unlikely to benefit from any therapy or medical treatment um, and that his behavior pattern was most likely to bring him into repeated conflict with society. Doomed. Yep. And the doctors did conclude that he was mentally competent to stand trial. Oh, that's good. Yes. So on November 7th, 1968, he pled guilty to one count of sodomy in relation to Voorhees, but not guilty to the charges related to uh, the other youth. Uh, Gacy claimed Voorhees had offered himself to him and that he had acted out of curiosity. His story was not believed and was convicted on of sodomy on December 3rd and sentenced to 10 years imprisonment. Wow. Yeah, but just wait. Okay. So the same day, his wife petition for divorce Uh, what a bitch she was in on all of it right that's what i'm saying um but she requested that she be awarded the couple's home and property sole custody of the two children and alimony uh the court ruled in her favor and the divorce was finalized on september 18th 1969 
and Gacy never saw his first wife or children again. <gasps> wow. Which, like, don't get me wrong. The guy's a fucking pedophile. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, like, He's just awful. the fact that some people don't let the father see their kid. Is yeah, really sad to me. It's, not, it's not like he was a bad dad. He's a piece of shit, terrible human. But. I, I mean, know. if my husband went to jail for something like that, I probably wouldn't let Yeah, but, like, if you were in on it with him. Yeah. Why you, would you? You also had sex with the kid. Yeah. Um, so, he was in the Anamosa State Penitentiary, and he basically was a model prisoner. Um, he was the head cook. He was known to have secured an increase in the inmates' daily pay. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, that was cool. And he supervised several projects to improve conditions for inmates. And he even oversaw the installation of a miniature golf course in the recreational yard. Oh, that's badass. That's what I'm saying. I wish my jail. I'm not in jail. I don't know what I'm <laughs> I wish mind. my jail. <laughs> Never mind. I wish we had mini golf here. We have, we have disc golf. We have disc golf. Oh, we do. I still haven't checked that out. I walked over there once. And I, like, literally sat on the bench and just watched TikToks. Oh, my God, Taylor. I was with Riley, so, like, it's fine. You went out into nature to watch TikToks. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's a step in, there, in a better. direction. <laughs> it's better than laying in my bed. Yeah. <coughs> that's anyway. so funny. <clears throat> So in June of 1969, Gacy was denied parole. To prepare for a second scheduled parole hearing in May 1970, Gacy completed 16 high school courses for which he obtained his diploma in November of 1969. And he's how old? Like 40? Something like that. No, he's like 30. Yeah, it's like 30 something. Mm. So on Christmas Day 1969, Gacy's father died from cirrhosis. Of the liver. He's an alcoholic. Maybe. Is that a thing? Definitely, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know what cirrhosis is. Uh, Corroding. (coughs) Ate itself. Ew. Oh. Uh, So when Gacy was told the news, he collapsed to the floor and started sobbing. He had requested for supervised compassionate leave to attend the funeral, and he was denied. Good. Yeah. Why would you want to go to that piece of shit man's funeral anyway? Because his father finally accepted him. Fuck him. Uh, so, Gacy was granted parole with 12 months probation on June 18, 1970, after having served 10, I'm sorry, 18 months of his 10-year sentence. What? Yes. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's not how things work. This is why people got killed. This is blasphemy. Blasphemy. Our prison system is fucked up. Conditions of his probation included that he had to relocate back to Chicago to live with his mother. Terrible. And he must observe a 10 p.m. curfew. My curfew has not been 10... Did I say 10 a.m.? I meant 10 p.m. No, you said 10 p.m. Oh. I haven't had a 10 o'clock curfew since I was, like, 13. Anyway. I never had a curfew. <sighs> yeah. 
I was, but I was also never home, so. That explains so much, Alicia. Yeah, <laughs> running wild and free. That's why I come home at between 1 and 3 a.m. some nights of the week. Yeah, that's okay. And then show up for work at 11 the next day <laughs> and hate myself. Um, so John Wayne Gacy moved back to Chicago to live with his mom, and he got a job as a short order cook. On February 12, 1971, Gacy was charged with sexually assaulting a teenage boy who claimed that he had lured him into his car at Chicago's Greyhound bus terminal and driven him to his home where he had attempted to force the boy into sex. The court dismissed this, though, when the boy failed to appear. <sighs> yup. Oh. It's also your fault that he did all this. I'm just kidding. It's not. Wait, the boy's fault? I'm just kidding. He could have, yeah, if he would have shown up and testified, he would have been right back in jail and no one would have died. I hope you hate yourself. I'm just kidding. (laughs) So sorry. I would have been scared too. It's okay, buddy. Um, On June 22nd, Gacy was arrested and charged with aggravated sexual battery and reckless conduct. The arrest was in response to a complaint filed by a youth who claimed that Gacy had flashed a sheriff's badge, lured him into his car, and forced him to perform oral sex. These charges were also dropped after the complainant complainant, complainant? attempted to blackmail Gacy. So he ruined his own. Complainant. Complainant. I don't know the words. Uh, the Iowa Board of Parole did not learn of these incidents, and eight months later, in October of 1971, Gacy's parole ended. The following month, record of Gacy's previous criminal convictions were sealed. Why? Sealed, sealed, sealed. So, once his parole ended, with financial help from his mom, he bought a ranch house where he would live until his arrest in 1978. So, he lived there for like seven years. Okay. Um, in August 1971, shortly after Gacy and his mother moved into the house, because his mom came with him, he became engaged to Carol Hoff, a divorcee with two young daughters. Uh, they were married on July 1st, 1972, and his fiance and stepdaughters moved into the home soon after the couple announced their engagement. And Gacy's mom had moved out of the house shortly before the wedding. So by 1975, so when was that? Three years later, Gacy told his wife that he was bisexual. Okay, at least he's emotionally developing. Yeah, right. Yeah. So after the couple had sex on Mother's Day that year, he informed her this would be the last time they would ever have sex. Why are you marrying her then? He already married. I mean, they're already married. Why did you marry her? Because it's not socially acceptable in this time. Just be single. I mean, yeah. Um, So he began spending most evenings away from home, only to return in the early hours of the morning with the excuse that he had been working late. That poor woman. I know. His wife saw Gacy bring teenage boys into his garage and found gay porn and men's wallets and identification inside the house. Uh, When she confronted him about who these items belonged to, he informed her angrily that it was none of her business. Oh, no. It's my house. It is my business, bitch. Yeah, you're my husband. It's my business. But then again, again, different time. 
No excuses. I know. <laughs> so, following a heated argument when she failed to balance a checkbook correctly in October of 1975, Carol Gacy asked her husband for a divorce. Gacy agreed to his wife's request, although by mutual consent, Carol continued to live at the house until February of 1976, when she and her daughters moved into their own apartment. Oof. She dodged a bullet. Yeah. And then one month later, on March 2nd, the Gacy's divorce, decreed upon false grounds of Gacy's infidelity with women, was finalized. That's a lot of words I don't understand. Uh... He got divorced because something with infidelity. I don't know. I don't understand. Because he was a talk. cheater, a bitch ass cheater. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, in 1975, Gacy joined the Jolly Joker Clown Club as Pogo the Clown and Patches the Clown. Thanks. I hate that. Pogo was a more happy and fun clown, where Patches was more serious. Are clowns supposed to be serious? Apparently, if you're, what's his name? Patches? Patches the Clown. Patches is a serious clown. Patches O'Houlihan. Oh my god. <laughs> is it necessary for me to drink my own urine? No, but it's sterile and I like the taste. Iconic. Iconic! Uh, so he would go to fundraisers, political parties, children's hospital, etc. As one of the clowns. So, you know, making people feel better, I yeah. guess. Sure. And... Going back a little bit, so in 1971, he had established his own business called PDN Contractors, which is obviously a contracting business. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the workforce consisted of high school students and young men. Gacy would often proposition his workers for sex or insist on sexual favors in return for acts such as lending his vehicles, financial assistance, promotions, Mm. you know. He also claimed to own guns, once telling an employee, do you know how easy it would be to get one of my guns and kill you? And how easy it would be to get rid of the body. Oh my god. That's terrifying. Um, I would quit. Yeah. Hell yeah. And in 1973, Gacy and a teenage employee traveled to Florida to view property Gacy had purchased. On the first night in Florida, Gacy raped him in their hotel room. After returning to Chicago, he drove to Gacy's house and beat him in the yard. Gacy told his wife he had been attacked for refusing to pay him for poor quality work. So, good for you. Wait. Who beat who? So, Gacy and one of his employees went to Florida. Mm-hmm. He raped him. Gacy raped the kid. Mm-hmm. And then when they got home, the kid drove to Gacy's house. Uh-huh. They, it didn't say his name. That's why I didn't say his name. Right. Um, Gacy, uh, the kid drove to Gacy's house, beat the shit out of him, and then okay. Gacy told his wife that the kid beat him up because he refused to pay him for poor quality work. I thought he was divorced. This is like... Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, you said bit. you were going back. I'm sorry. Yeah. So then in May 1975, Gacy hired 15-year-old Anthony Antonucci, and in July of 1975, Gacy went to his house. The two drank a bottle of wine... Then watched a heterosexual stag film before Gacy wrestled Antonucci to the floor and cuffed his hands behind his back. One cuff was loose, and Antonucci freed his arm while Gacy was out of the room. When he came back, Antonucci, who was a high school wrestler, (gasps) pounced on him. 
He wrestled Gacy to the floor, obtained possession of the handcuff key, and cuffed Gacy's hands behind his back. At first, Gacy threatened Antonucci, then calmed down and promised to leave if he would remove the handcuffs. He agreed, and Gacy left. Uh, Antonucci later recalled that Gacy told him, Not only are you the only one who got out of the cuffs, you got them on me. Wow. So, so he's done that a lot of times before. Yes. So on July 1976, so this is like kind of like back where we left off, mm-hmm. Gacy picked up 18-year-old David Cram as he hitchhiked on, hitchhiked on Elson Avenue. Gacy offered him a job with his company, and he began work that same evening. On August 21st, Cram moved into his house with okay. Gacy. The next day, he and Gacy had several drinks to celebrate his 19th birthday, with Gacy dressed as Pogo the Clown. Oh my god. Gacy conned Cram into donning handcuffs in front of his body. Gacy swung Cram around while holding the chain link, chain linking the cuffs. Wait, what? The, the chain in between Oh the yeah. Then said he intended to rape him. Oh. Cram kicked Gacy in the face and freed himself from the handcuffs. Good. And then a month later, Gacy appeared at Cram's bedroom door, intending to rape him, saying, Dave, you really don't know who I am. Maybe it would be good if you give me what I want. (gasps) Cram resisted, straddling Gacy, who left the bedroom, stating, you ain't no fun. Oh, my God. Cram moved out on October 5th and left Gacy's company, although he did come back and, like, periodically work for him for a couple years. Why? I don't know. I can't believe he even stayed there for another month after he almost got raped. Oh, no. Second you dress up as Poe with a clown, I'm out. Yeah, for real. So between 1972 and 1978, Gacy murdered at least 33 young men, 26 of whom were buried in his crawl space. Oh, my God. That's gross. Uh, Yeah. So I'm not going to go through all of the victims because 33 victims is a lot to talk about. Yeah. So I'm just going to go through a couple and, like, kind of give you, like, the gist of what mm-hmm. he would do to his victims. Okay. So Gacy usually lured uh, a lone victim to his house, although on approximately three occasions, he would take two victims at a time. Ballsy. And kill them in the same night. Uh, several victims were lured with the promise of a job with his company, others with an offer of drink, drugs, or money for sex. His victims included people he knew and random individuals lured from Chicago's Greyhound bus station, Bughouse Square, or simply off the streets. Some victims were grabbed by force, others conned into believing Gacy, who often carried a sheriff's badge and had spotlights on his black Oldsmobile, was a policeman. What a dick. He also took some of his employees. Oh my god. Yeah. So inside his home, his, un- uh, like, thing was to play a, someone with drink, drugs, or generally just try to gain their trust. Uh, Gacy would then produce a pair of handcuffs to show a magic trick, sometimes as part of a clowning routine. He typically cuffed his own hands behind his back and then released himself with the key, which he would hide like in, his, in between his fingers. Mm-hmm. Um, he then offered to show his victim how to release themselves from handcuffs uh with his victim manacled and unable to free himself gacy then made a statement to the effect that 
or I'm sorry, he would say something like, the trick is you have to have the key. Gacy referred to this act as restraining his victims as the handcuff trick. Uh, yeah. So he would rape and torture his captive. He frequently began by sitting on the chest before forcing his victim to fillet him, which means to perform oral sex. And then inflicted acts of torture, including burning with cigars, making his captive imitate a horse as he sat on their back (gasps) and pulled upon the reins around their necks. So he would like put something around their neck. How degrading. I know. In violation with foreign objects such as dildos and prescription bottles after he had sodomized them. Ew. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. That is so mortifying. I know. Oh my god, these poor people. So, to immobilize his victim's legs before engaging in acts of torture, he would frequent, like, he'd basically take their ankles and take a two-by-four with handcuffs attached to it and, like, bind them that way. Jesus. Yeah. Which was actually inspired by the Houston mass murders. Don't know what that means. Just some inspo. Yep. Um, he dragged or forced several victims to crawl into his bathroom where he would drown them and then revive them to continue <gasps> torturing them. Oh, like the, um... BTK. Yeah. yeah. He would, like, um... He would let them go and then bring them back. Them. Yeah. yeah. Or, like, suffocate them. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Um, he would typically murder his victims by placing a rope around their neck before progressively tightening the rope with a hammer handle. Ew. Yeah. He referred to this act as the rope trick, frequently informing his captive, this is the last trick. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, in at least one instance, he had read a part of Psalm 23 as he tightened the rope around his victim's neck. Occasionally, the victim had convulsed for an hour or two before dying, although several victims died by asphyxiation from cloth gags stuffed deep into their throats. Hmm. Except for his two final victims, all were murdered between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Damn. So, ah, this is really fucking gross. After death, Gacy would store his victims' bodies under his bed for up to 24 hours. (gasps) Before burying his victim in the crawl space, where he periodically poured quicklime to hasten the decomposition of his victim. Oh. Some of his victims' bodies were taken to his garage and even embalmed. Ew. Prior to burial. Jesus. So that's fucking gross. Uh, how does he even have time? I don't know. For all of that. Oh, oh no. God. Guess if you want something, you make time for it. True. So, we're going to get into, like, a couple victims here. Okay. So, his first known murder occurred on January 3rd, 1972. According to Gacy's later account, following a family party on the evening of January 2nd, he decided to drive to the Civic Center in the Loop to view a display of ice sculptures. He then lured 16-year-old Timothy Jack McCoy from Chicago's Greyhound bus terminal into his car. McCoy was traveling from Michigan to Omaha, Nebraska. Omaha, I don't know why I said it like that. Mm -hmm. Gacy took McCoy on a sightseeing tour of Chicago and then drove him to his home with the promise that he could spend the night and be driven back to the station in time to catch his bus in the morning. Gacy claimed he woke early the following morning to find McCoy standing in his bedroom door with a kitchen knife in his hand. 
He then jumped from his bed and McCoy raised both arms in a gesture of surrender. Tilting the knife upwards and accidentally cutting Gacy's forearm, Gacy twisted the knife from him, banged his head against the bedroom wall, kicked him against his wardrobe, and walked towards him. McCoy then kicked Gacy in the stomach, doubling him over. Gacy grabbed McCoy, wrestled him to the floor, and stabbed him repeatedly in the chest as he straddled him. Oh. So brutal. I know. As McCoy lay dying, Gacy claimed he washed the knife in his bathroom and went to his kitchen and saw an open carton of eggs and a slab of unsliced bacon on his kitchen table. McCoy had set the table for two. He had walked into Gacy's room to wake him while absentmindedly carrying the kitchen knife in his hand. So, like, this was just, like, a misunderstanding. Gacy buried McCoy in his crawl space and later covered his grave with a layer of concrete. In an interview several years after his arrest, Gacy said that immediately after killing him, he felt totally drained, yet noted that he had stabbed McCoy, and as he listened to the gurgulations and gasping for air, that he had experienced a mind-numbing orgasm. Ew. He added, that's when I realized that death was the ultimate thrill. Ew. Disgusting. Oh my god. On July 31st, 1975, another one of Gacy's employees, an 18-year-old named John Bukovic, Bukovic, disappeared. (laughs) His car was found parked near the corner of Sheridan and Lawrence with his jacket and wallet inside and the keys still in the ignition. The day before his disappearance, uh, he had confronted Gacy over two weeks of outstanding back pay. Um, Bukovic's father called Gacy, who claimed he was happy to help search for his son, but was sorry that he had run away. How does he know that? I don't know. When questioned by police, Gacy said that Bukovic and two friends had arrived at his house demanding the overdue pay, but they had reached a compromise and all three had left. Over the following three years, Bukovic's parents called police more than a hundred times urging them to investigate Gacy further. So they like really? they like always thought that Gacy was involved. Wow. And the police never did anything? Nope. That's fucked. Gacy later admitted to encountering Bukovic, exiting his car at the corner of West Lawrence Avenue, waving to attract his attention. According to Gacy, he approached his car stating, I want to talk to you. Gacy invited Bukovic into his car, then invited him back to his home to settle the issue of the back pay. Mm-hmm. So at his home, he offered Bukovic a drink, then conned him into allowing his wrists to be cuffed behind his back. Oh my god. How do you god. go to someone's house, like, expecting to talk about, like, money that they owe you and be like, hey, let me just handcuff you. Let me just cuff you real quick, yeah. cutie. Like, if somebody, if, if my boss brought out handcuffs and was like, hey... Let me cuff you. I would quit right then and there. I would have just left. I would have been like, don't even pay me. Goodbye. Right. So Gacy later confessed to having sat on the kid's chest for a while before he strangled him. Yeah. What's up with sitting on people's chests? I don't know. And he's a big guy. Yeah. He is not a small human. Yeah. So he stowed the kid's body in his garage, intending to bury the body later in the crawl space. But his wife and stepdaughters returned earlier than expected. (gasps) 
Gacy buried the body under the concrete floor of the garage in an empty space where he had initially intended to dig a drain tile. Oh my gosh. So there's that. Oh. And his <laughs> wife had no idea. There was just dead yeah, people. No, she didn't know. Oh. Um, so on the afternoon of December 11th, 1978, Gacy visited the Nissan Pharmacy in De Plain to discuss a potential remodeling deal with the store owner, Phil Torf. While he was within earshot of 15-year-old part-time employee Robert Peast, uh, Gacy mentioned his firm often hired teenage boys at a starting wage of $5 an hour, which was Ooh. almost double the pay that he was making at the pharmacy. Oh, dang. Yeah, it's crazy. How, that is how, really crazy. How times have changed. Yeah. Um, so shortly after Gacy left the pharmacy, Peace's mother arrived at the store to drive her son home so the family could celebrate her birthday together. Peace asked his mother to wait, adding that some contractor wanted to talk to him about a job. He left the store at 9 p.m., promising to return shortly. Uh, Peace was murdered shortly after 10 p.m. at Gacy's home. Gacy later stated that at his house, he asked Peace whether there was anything he wouldn't do for the right price, to which Peace replied that he did not mind working hard. Ooh. In response, Gacy stated Wrong good answer. money could be earned by hustling, although Peace was dismissive. Gacy then duped Peace into donning handcuffs before saying, I'm going to rape you and you can't do anything about it. Ooh. So the kid began weeping. He also stated that he placed... A tourniquet around his neck. A rope. Mm -hmm. The boy was crying scared. Gacy admitted to having received a phone call from a business acquaintance as Peace lay dying suffocating on his bedroom floor. <gasps> oh my god. Yes. That's so scary. I know. It's so sad. Yeah. So when Peace failed to return, his family filed a missing persons report with the Deplane police. Uh, Torf named Gacy as the contractor. Peace had most likely left the store to talk about a job. Uh, Lieutenant Joseph something, I can't say his last name, Kozensack, whose son attended Maine West High School, like Peace, chose to investigate Gacy further. Uh, no, 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 no. I lost my place. Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, having spoken with Peace's mother on the morning of December 12th, Kozensack became convinced Peace had not run away from home. A routine check of Gacy's criminal background revealed that he had an outstanding battery charge against him in Chicago and had served a, pr a prison sentence in Iowa for the sodomy of a 15-year-old boy. Which was... Exposed. That was the one yeah, yeah. that he went to jail for. Uh, Kozensack and two Deplane officers visited Gacy at his home the following evening. Gacy indicated he had seen two youths. I don't know why they call them youths. Two youths. Two uh, youngins. Yeah. Working at the pharmacy and that he had asked one of them, who he believed was Peace, whether there were any remodeling materials behind the store. He was adamant, however, that he had not offered Peace a job and had only returned to the pharmacy shortly after 8 p.m. as he had left his appointment book at the store. Gacy promised to come to the station later that evening to make a statement confirming this, indicating he was unable to do so at the moment as his uncle had just died. When questioned as to how soon he could come to the police station, he responded, You guys are very rude. Don't you have any respect for the dead? Okay. You fucking hypocrite. You right. piece of fucking shit. Yeah. 
So at 3.20 a.m., he got to the police station, covered in mud, claiming he had been involved in a car accident. Okay. Okay. Sure. Uh, On returning to the police station later that day, he denied any involvement in Pete's disappearance and repeated that he had not offered him a job, even though he did. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, When asked why he had returned to the pharmacy, uh, he reiterated that he had done so in response to a phone call from Torf informing him he had left his appointment book at the store. Mm -hmm. Detectives had already spoken with Torf, who denied calling Gacy. At the request of detectives, Gacy prepared a written statement detailing his movements on December 11th. I'm like reading so much I'm starting to stutter, sorry. (laughs) That's fine. Uh, suspecting Gacy might be holding peace against his will at his home, Deplain police obtained a warrant to search his house on December 13th. Mm. They found several police badges and a 6mm brevetta, uh, which is a starter pistol, mm-hmm. inside an office drawer, and a syringe and hypodermic needle inside a cabinet in his bathroom, handcuffs, books on homosexuality, and pederasty? Pederasty? No idea. Pedophilia. Oh. Um, Seven pornographic films, capsules of amyl nitrate, a, I'm sorry, an 18-inch dildo in Gacy's bedroom. Nice. A 39-inch 2x4 with two holes drilled into each ends, bottles of Valium and atropine, and several driver's license were found in one of the bedrooms. A blue hooded parka was found a on top of a toolbox inside the laundry room and underwear that were too small to fit Gacy was inside the bathroom closet. And they also found a class of 1975 Main West High School ring engraved with the initials JAS and a Nissan pharmacy photo receipt from a trash can. Damn. Oh, I'm sorry. And 36 inches of nylon rope. Yikes. Yeah. So the police confiscated his Oldsmobile and other like PDM work vehicles mm-hmm. um, because he was using that to pick up to pretend like he was a police officer oh okay yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, police assigned two two-man surveillance teams to monitor Gacy on a rotational 12-hour basis and by December 18th, Gacy was beginning to show signs of strain from the constant surveillance. So, like, he literally lasted, what did it say, like, three days. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and then he was unshaven, he looked tired, he appeared anxious, and started drinking heavily. That afternoon, he drove to his lawyer's office to prepare a $750,000 civil suit against the Deplane police demanding that they cease their surveillance. Why? Because you don't like it? Yep, pretty much. I'm almost done, I promise. Maybe you shouldn't be a serial killer. No, I'm having a great time. Okay. On December 19th, investigators began compiling evidence for a second search warrant for his house. The same day, Gacy's lawyers filed the civil suit against the Deplane police. God, that's like a tongue twister. The hearing for the suit was scheduled for December 22nd, and that afternoon, Gacy invited the surveillance detectives inside his house. Um, as Officer Robinson distracted Gacy with conversation, Officer Schultz... Off- oh my god. <laughs> Officer Schultz walked into Gacy's bedroom in an unsuccessful attempt to write down the serial number of the Motorola TV set that they suspected belonged to John 
Sizzik? Sizzik? I don't know. Slizzer? While flushing Gacy's toilet, the officer noticed a smell he suspected could be that of rotting corpses emanating from a heating duct. Oh, gross. The officers who had searched Gacy's house previously had failed to notice that the house had been cold. So when they went in the first time, the house was cold. And then it wasn't. Oh, my God. So the smell of hot, rotting bodies. Ew, that's absolutely disgusting. Can you imagine walking into someone's house and the heat's just blowing and it's just like I don't death? I don't know what a dead body smells like. I don't either, but I imagine it's not good. No. So on the evening of December 20th, Gacy drove to his lawyer's office in Park Ridge to attend a scheduled meeting to discuss the progress of his civil suit. Uh, when he got there, he was kind of disheveled and immediately asked for an alcoholic drink. So his lawyer fetched a bottle of whiskey from his car. When he came back, it's a good lawyer. he asked Gacy what he had to discuss with them. Gacy picked up a copy of the Daily Herald from his lawyer's desk, pointed to a front page article covering the disappearance of Robert Peast, and said, this boy is dead. He's in a river. In a river? In a river. Did he take his victims to the river? Uh, we'll get there. Okay. Gacy then proceeded to give a rambling confession that ran into the early hours of the following morning. He began by informing his lawyer that he had been the judge, jury, and executioner of many, many people. Shut the fuck up. And now he wanted to do the same for himself. Uh, no. Yeah, right? Sorry. Not how that works. Um, He said he buried most of his victims in his crawl space and had disposed of five other bodies in the Duplain River. Okay. So. There we go. He ran out of room. Oh my god. Ew. It's disgusting. Uh, Gacy dismissed his victims as male prostitutes, hustlers, and liars to whom he gave the rope trick, adding he sometimes awoke to find dead strangled kids on his floor with their hands cuffed behind their back. Oh, he would just wake up and they were there? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. Because that just happens. Definitely. Um, he had buried their bodies in his crawl space as he believed they were his property. Ew. That's disgusting. Sick. Repulsive. Sick, sick, sick. So as a result of the alcohol that he had consumed in his lawyer's office, he fell asleep midway through his confession. (gasps) His lawyer immediately arranged a psychiatric appointment for Gacy at 9 a.m. that morning. When he woke up several hours later, he shook his head when informed by his lawyer that he had confessed to killing approximately 30 people, saying, well, I can't think about this right now. I've got things to do. Uh, that poor lawyer. I know. And then he was probably mind fucked. I know. And then he completely ignored his lawyer's advice, telling him to go to the appointment. And Gacy left the office to attend to the needs of his business. So, well, that's what he said anyway. Yeah. So when he left his lawyer's office, he drove to a gas station where he was filling up his car He handed a small bag of weed to the attendant, who immediately handed the bag to the surveillance officers, adding that Gacy had told him, the end is coming for me. These guys are going to kill me. Yeah, you deserve it. Right. He then drove to the home of one of his friends, Ronald Road. Gacy hugged Road before bursting into tears and saying, I've been a bad boy. I killed 30 people, give or take a few. Ah. 
that whole statement I know is not good. Yeah, no. Not good. So Gacy left Road and drove to Cram's house to meet with Cram and Rossi. I'm not 100% sure who Rossi is. But as he drove along the expressway, the surveillance officers noted he was holding a rosary to his chin, praying while he drove. Too late, pal. Yeah. You're going to hell. Yeah. You're going to be uh, Hitler's bitch now. Yeah. And Hitler is everybody else's bitch. We talk about Hitler a lot on this show. <laughs> yeah, we do. And my whole story was about Nazis. Right. Ugh. So after talking with Cram and Rossi, Gacy had Cram drive him to a scheduled meeting with his lawyer or one of his lawyers as Gacy's as Gacy spoke with him Cram informed the surveillance officers that Gacy had told him and Rossi that he had confessed to over 30 murders with his lawyers to the previous evening Ricky he just loves you so much I know but he's gonna scratch me he's reaching around chair. Taylor's chair from the darkness with just one long paw to touch her yeah <laughs> he's my baby he's, he's very needy yeah he is um, so Gacy then had Cram drive into the cemetery where his father was buried. So he wanted to go say what up to dad before he was, you know. He wanted to say, you're right, Papa. I am gay. Yeah. So as Gacy drove to the various locations that morning, police outlined the formal draft for their second search warrant. Specifically to search the body, search for the body of Robert Peast in the crawl space. Oh man, they were in for so much more yeah. than that. Yeah. So, the surveillance detectives found out that Gacy might be about to commit suicide. So, they decided to arrest him on a charge of possession and distribution of cannabis in order to hold him in custody. Oh. Remember, he gave weed yeah. to the attendant. <gasps> Bad move. <clears throat> yeah. So, as a formal request for a second search warrant was presented, at 4.30 p.m. on December 21st, the eve of the hearing of Gacy's civil suit... Judge Marvin J. Peters granted the request for a second search warrant. Yes. Get him. So, yeah. After police informed Gacy of their intentions to search his crawlspace for the body of peace, Gacy denied the teenager was buried there, but confessed to having killed a young man in self-defense and buried his body under his garage. So he only technically right there confessed to just the one oh, and said God. it was self-defense. Okay. Right. So, armed with the signed search warrant, police and evidence technicians drove to Gacy's home. On their arrival, officers found Gacy had unplugged his sump pump, flooding the crawl space with water. <gasps> Ew! Yeah. So, to clear it, they replaced the plug and waited for the water to drain. After it had done so, um, one of the technicians entered the 28 by 38 foot crawl space crawled to the southwest area of it and began digging. Within minutes, he had uncovered putrefied flesh and a human arm bone. Ew. Uh, the technician immediately shouted to the investigators that they could charge Gacy with murder, adding, I think this place is full of kids. <gasps> a police photographer then dug in the northeast corner of the crawl space, uncovering a patella. A kneecap. <laughs> yeah. The two then began digging in the southeast corner, uncovering two lower leg bones. Oh my god. That's it? No. Oh. <laughs> no, honey. No, 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 no. <laughs> he, had, he had 26 victims down there. Right, 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 right. Um, the victims were too composed to be pieced, 
And as the body discovered in the northeast corner was later unearthed, a crime crime scene technician discovered the skull of a second victim alongside his body. Later excavations of the feet of the second victim revealed a further skull beneath the body. So there was a body beneath the body. Um, Because of this, technicians returned to the trench where the first body was found, discovering the rib cage of a fourth victim within the crawl space, confirming... Four victims. Yeah. Yes. So in the early morning hours of December 22nd, and in the presence of his lawyers... Gacy provided a formal statement in which he confessed to murdering approximately 30 young males. Give or take a few. God. All of whom he claimed had entered his house willingly. Some victims were referred to by name, but Gacy claimed to not know or remember most of the names. (gasps) Yeah. How awful. He had claimed all were teenage male runaways or male prostitutes. The majority of whom he had buried in his crawl space. No, that's Again, a lie. 26 out of 33 of his victims were buried in his crawl space. Jesus Christ. Yeah. When questioned specifically about Peast, Gacy confessed to luring him to his house and strangled him on the evening of December 11th. He also admitted to having slept alongside Peast's body that evening before Ew. disposing of the corpse in the Deplaine River in the early hours of December 13th. So his trial started on February 6th, 1980, and went on for five weeks. Yeah, there's a lot to cover. Yeah. At the end of the trial, the jury deliberated for less than two hours. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's just enough time to go over all the victims. I don't even need two hours. Let me just tell you what I think right now. Guilty. So Gacy was found guilty of all 33 murder charges, sexual assault, and taking indecent liberties with a child. Because that's what you did. At the time of his conviction for the 33 murders, it was the most for which any person in U.S. history had been convicted. Damn. Uh, He was sentenced to death, and he spent 14 years on death row at Menard Correctional Facility. He was denied multiple appeals and was set to be executed on May 10th, 1994. (gasps) That's the year I was born. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) On the morning of May 9th, 1994, Gacy was transferred from the Menard Correctional Correctional Center to Stateville Correctional Center in Crest Hill to be executed. That afternoon, he was allowed a private picnic on the prison grounds with his family for his last... (laughs) That was scary. I'm sorry. (laughs) What are you doing? He's feeling rambunctious today. Good lord, Ricky. He just jumped all the way up on top of this, like, ladder shelf that we have. It's like a... It's really high up. It's like a seven or eight foot ladder shelf. Yeah. Jesus, Rick. Um, but yeah, so he had a private picnic on the prison grounds with his family. His last meal was a bucket of KFC. Oh my god. A dozen fried shrimp. French fries. Fresh strawberries and a diet coke. I hate him. I do too. <laughs> and now I hate diet coke. <laughs> I have always hated diet coke. Uh, before the execution began, the chemicals used to, you know, kill him, mm-hmm. solidified unexpectedly, clogging the IV tube used to administer the chemicals into Gacy's arm. Um, the I bl- mean, that's like kind of like a form of torture. That's kind of oh hilarious. yeah, yeah, I know. 
Um, so there were blinds covering the window through, or like where the witnesses mm-hmm. were sitting. Um, those were drawn. And the execution team replaced the clogged tube. After 10 minutes, the blinds were reopened and the execution resumed. The whole process took 18 minutes. Holy shit. And his final spoken words were, kiss my ass. (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah. Literally, fuck you. Yo. That... I'm stressed. I think this is our longest episode yet. <laughs> We're at an hour and a half. Dang. My portion was only 20 minutes. So get it, girl. That's fine. That was a wild ride. Yeah. I'm sorry that was so long. No, I love it. That was really... You did... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Love it. I'm here <sighs> for it. Yes. Killing it. All right. <laughs> Ricky is staring down at us right now. He is just like the crypt keeper right he now. He is. Well, Taylor. Yes. Thank you for that. You're so welcome. Listeners, thank you for listening. We mm-hmm. love you. Feel free to follow us on our socials, Creepy Ouija Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can email us your true crime and paranormal stories or literally anything that you want to email us at creepyweegeepod at gmail.com. And you can leave us a five-star review in the Apple Podcast app. Please do. Next week, Taylor, I'm going to have you do a cryptid. Sick. I am going to have you do a murder. Yeah. Oh, man. How am I going to live up to this? This was good. This was rough. I'm like, I literally sat there staring at my notes and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? I literally have, I don't know if I said in the beginning, I have 26 pages of notes. I think the most I've ever had was like 18 pages of notes. I just had 26. I think that was um, Janet Moses. I am sick of hearing my own voice. I love it. And you know what? (laughs) Our listeners love it too. Otherwise they wouldn't be here. Okay, everybody, stay safe. And if your boss pulls out handcuffs, make sure to run away. Run away. And uh, stuff. Run away and stuff. Don't, don't let them get you. Don't. Yep. That's our advice. That's our advice. All right, see you next week. Catch you on the flippity flute.